1: the cycling independent this is the Paceline, line the podcast on two wheels i'm patrick brady and with me is my co-host john lewis each week we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives dude it seems nice there i've been looking at your weather
0: it is um new england spring for sure which means that uh my ride today was 45 degrees and sunny
1: i i once wrote that uh Spring is a phenomenon uh, largely unknown to New England, or what New Englanders call spring is not what anyone anywhere else would call spring. Uh, my experience during my time there was mostly 45 and rain.
0: Yeah, we get a lot of rain, and the temperatures, it's very flirty, right? Like, uh, you get a day where it's 60, and you're like, hot damn, here we go. Uh, but, haha, surprise, it's going to be 30 tomorrow. Um, so, <laughs> Thank you for playing. <laughs> yeah. It's very mixed until it's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then,
1: yeah, one day in May, suddenly summer has arrived.
0: That's right. It becomes hot and humid, and, well, you know. <laughs> um, I have good news. You tell me that. My ultrasound is all clear. And what does that mean for you? <laughs>
1: I have no idea.
0: Um, I mean, that's not bad news, but what does it mean? Well, so
1: uh, unbeknownst to me, when you and I spoke last week uh, and and right about just as uh, listeners were beginning to hear uh, the podcast last week, I got a call uh, from radiology uh, at Kaiser and they said, so we need to schedule your ultrasound. And I was like, well sure we need to schedule my i had no idea he hadn't mentioned we should probably get an ultrasound on this um i was like okay you know that's that's what they want they want to have a look sure we'll do that and so they put that uh warm gel uh on my netherest of regions and moved the little thing around and yeah uh, i got an email saying my ultrasound is all clear um I mean, that's that's one opinion of the situation Uh, based on yesterday afternoon's ride. uh, I'm done with this. And so I'm simply going to make the request. Let's let's uh, can I have a body without metal in it?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's sort of like when they leave a scalpel or a clamp inside, you just like actually I know what the solution is. It's just get this metal out of me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to give them credit for that. You know, this metal was, um, well, intentional. Uh, I like it no more than a left-behind clamp or whatever. So who knows? Yeah. 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 Okay. You want get it out. Yeah. Ooh, uh, we've gone far enough, uh, clo- cl- we've gone close enough to this rabbit hole that we're going to move on now with your pull.
0: Too close and too far. (laughs) All right. My pull this week is uh, there. I I have this. um, I have this fundamental paradox in my cycling life that I want to talk about. And it's something that I've tried and tried to resolve, but I don't seem able, which Mm. seems crazy to me, given the things I have successfully changed about my approach to life generally. Okay. The paradox is this. I, I love endurance sports, and like many of our listeners, have dedicated great swaths of my life to them. At the same time, I'm deeply impatient, easily bored, and absolutely fixated on getting to the end of any task I'm doing as quickly as possible. Yeah, okay, I'm attracted okay. to extremes... Uh, Like running and riding very far, but mentally I seem ill-suited to these things that I, I want to do. Mm. Um, Part of this is simple ADD, I think. I, I've got a twitchy mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm usually doing more than one thing at a time because focus is hard for me, but also because it's been a pretty winning strategy. Like, I'm almost never riding a bike that I'm not also riding something in my head.
1: Mhm. Mhm.
0: And then whatever organic ADD I've brought to the party has been compounded by living in the internet age, which is you know, us living our lives marinating in short attention span theater all day every day.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and yeah, and then on top of that, I was taught to work by my father, whose approach to most tasks was to go at them like a dog with a fresh chew toy until they were finished or whatever he was working on was broken. My, my dad, generally speaking, my dad didn't want things done. He wanted them destroyed. And that's the way I do things. I go at them. Uh, you know, my wife, I'll be stacking wood. Like, like something important is riding on it. Like I've got money riding on it. My wife is like, what are you doing? Why are you? What? You're going to hurt yourself like that. Uh huh. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, as you once said to me, you know, John, you can't just bang out a hundred miles. It takes time. You said that to me once. Uh, and this is unsparingly true.
1: Which is rare for me. N-
0: the w- no, I think you're. <laughs> I think well, we see other people with 20/20 vision, don't we? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. The athletes I've admired traditionally have been these sort of stoic, patient, tough people who have the mental strength and focus to pull off big, big things. And I desperately wanted, want and wanted to be one of them. And okay, I've done some big stuff myself uh, in my years, but it's never not a struggle. Um, I have a 50-mile gravel event coming up in three weeks or so and I'm not ready. I don't have the base miles. You know, I've been skiing. I've been doing all kinds of other things. I just need some cycling base miles to be able to do that ride. I mean, I'll, you know, if I don't, I'll probably survive. Uh, I've ridden enough that I can ride 50 miles. Um, but I, 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 who wants to just survive? I want to enjoy it. I want to ride with my friends and have a good time. So, <laughs> This, this morning, I went out to do my version of training, uh, and over and over again in my head, I had to tell myself to slow down, to chill out, to let the miles happen. Uh, you can't hurry up and acquire base miles. Uh, you have to ride. You have to give it time. And I want to do that. I really, really do, but I'm, I'm forever battling this drive to finish, to try to get to the end before I have any right to get there. And so I'm wondering if you had this issue at all. I'd also happily take suggestions from listeners who deal with this problem. I manage mostly to get fit and finish all the things I've started, but I so wish I could find the patience to ride the right way, which which I I hope would lead to figuring out how to be more patient in my everyday life. And I, I kid you not that this is the biggest challenge I have slowing down.
1: Um, okay. A, I believe you. Um, I mean, uh, you know, for, for a guy who, as I understand it was a bit of a mess in his college years, uh, you, you've carved out something admirable. Um, so obviously you got something together. Um, but to your point, I do, I do get what you're talking about. Um, as you were talking, I flashed on. Uh, two different poles in my cycling life, one present tense and one sort of former thinking back on like the last time i re- i did a really uh big road ride uh the the long distance the two hundred ish distance of Levi's grand fondo um it, you know that we started and we're hauling ass down the road doing thirty miles an hour um But I had, whatever, six hours to go. Um, Right. You know, I was going to be out there for quite some time. And you can't really go after a double metric century with hammer and tongs. Um, I I mean, gosh, I remember many years ago being in a century that was going through the San Gabriel Mountains uh, on the north side. You know, it was going to be a 12,000 feet of climbing sort of day and we're on this false flat into a headwind uh doing 20 miles an hour you know with just this wind beating the hell out of us um and somehow even though i managed to get it together to slow down on that occasion say i can't do this all day (laughs) it's a mistake that i have happily made repeatedly um so you know i get your okay i need to slow down uh, currently my life um i i you know i'm i'm shoehorning in my rides among many other things and just getting out and getting on the bike is such a victory uh you know doing it more than doing it four days a week or more right now is a total win giving the given the overall i don't want to call it upheaval but I'm like a Chinese plate spinner. I've got like seven plates in the air. Um but when I get on the bike, um most often I'm alone and I'm listening to a book and so my time on the bike is an alternative to other things. Um it's not so much an end in itself. Uh it's a way for me to collect thoughts, uh burn some calories. Um get some time outside rather than indoors uh you know this whole being a writer thing uh is uh it's a little indoorsy uh it's (laughs) not not especially active uh right you know even if you do write about cycling (laughs) that yeah um i never take the keyboard outside maybe i should consider that but you know for me the ability to be satisfied and happy with just logging what are otherwise base miles, um, the, the, the key for me has been treating it as, as not the thing in itself, uh, but an alternative to other stuff. It's almost like my writing is my reading time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel that way as well, but I don't I can't get the behaviors to line up. Um, and, and it's, it's less about day of event kind of things like, yeah, on a big event, you go out too hard cause you're excited. That's like a rookie mistake and a veteran mistake. We all do it cause we're excited. It's just like the nature of events, I think. And mm-hmm. I've done enough of them to know, oh, oh, you went out too fast back off, you know, on the day of the event, it's less of a big deal for me than it is in like just daily training. You know, it's the mm-hmm. daily, it's the daily perseverance practice where I really struggle to like, just put your head down and ride your bike. Just mm-hmm. It's okay. It's going to take two and a half hours. You're going to be here. Like there's no, you don't need to be thrashing about. You don't need to be worried that you're not going fast enough. You just need to be going. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think <clears throat> there's probably. Pro- Probably, you know, going back to this sort of Internet age thing or like the current current state of uh, working zeitgeist in America anyway, uh, this idea that productivity is the value of your day.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, one way to get productive is to work harder, Um, (laughs) but that's just that's just counter to how endurance sports work.
1: So you're saying the Elon Musk uh, approach is maybe not something that's going to yield the fruit you want.
0: Right. You know, I I guess what I I'm saying uh, or or condensing it as much as possible is, you know, with a short term task, it can work, but in a with a task that is by its very nature meant to take a long time. Hurrying up is ludicrous. (laughs) It's a dumb uh, it,
1: way to do it. Yeah. I mean, the word impossible does come to mind. I'm, I'll grant that. Yeah. I'm reminded of what my former co host, uh, Celine, said to Allison Tetrick uh, before what is now Unbound. Uh, Celine, uh, the previous winner uh, of, of Unbound, told Allison before doing it, don't worry about how fast you're going. Just make sure you keep moving as long as you're moving, you're doing just fine. And when Allison crossed the line, I was there and she was like, yeah, Celine was totally right. Just keep moving. That was, that was absolutely the best advice ever. And so if you look at movement as the progress, um, you know, maybe, maybe that helps. I don't, you know, who knows? knows? (laughs) I, I mean, the funny thing here for me is, you know, while I do get what your dilemma is and how paradoxical it is. Um, there's something in my wiring that is kind of, you know, genetically Zen. Uh, there's something in my DNA that predisposed me, uh, to what Zen Buddhism is, uh, because, you know, I am somebody who rides my bike to ride my bike. Uh, I might be in a weird phase of my life right now where it's, Not quite the thing itself, but I like riding a bike and just being out there. There's still nothing better in my life for getting me right into the moment than the bicycle. You know, uh, and I, I still love that part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have that sometimes, but a lot of the time I have to, like, ride out of my own way to arrive at it.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, you just reminded me of a funny little scene in Douglas Adams' fourth book, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, uh, where he learns to fly. And he, he said that, you know, the key, well, not, not Douglas Adams, but Arthur Dent learns to fly. And Dent said that the key to learning how to fly was that you had to fall and then miss the ground.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. That's exactly it. I go out on my bike, I, I fall, and then it takes me a while to to avoid the ground. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, that I still, you know, of all the lines in literature, uh, that's just, to this day, a favorite of mine. Uh, it's so so beautifully absurd um i (laughs) you know you gotta admire anybody who puts that down uh on paper and says yeah we're keeping that yeah we'll keep that yeah yeah uh and we're now going to take a break and be back in just a minute
0: sounds good this podcast is brought to you by shimano I remember getting my first real road bike, uh, in the middle nineties and the guy selling it to me, uh, his main pitch was that of all the bikes in my price range, this was the only one that had Shimano Altegra components on it. And it was, I guess I wasn't really, I wasn't a, a heavy I was a bike nerd, but I wasn't a gear guy at that point. And so I was kind of, this was my first introduction to the idea that Ultegra was somehow this gold standard in road components. And I kind of, you know, I, I'm a cynical guy. I'm a skeptical guy. And I, I sort of dismissed that out of hand. And then I rode the other bikes and I was like, Oh no, I get exactly what that means. And it, it, it's never stopped meaning that I've had so many Ultegra bikes, uh, uh, since then and it's it really means something over a period of 25 years or or whatever uh, it's more now it's more like 30 to have made something that is the gold standard um and so that's part of the reason we're proud to have them as a sponsor for the podcast okay we're back with the pace line the podcast on two wheels what's your poll this week
1: uh, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole i i seem to do that don't i uh, so I got a really funny question yesterday, something no one has asked me about in ages. And the question was what's with spoke protectors. Why are they included (laughs) on high end bikes? Uh, you know, and well, Virginia, I can sum it up in a single word lawyers. Uh, I'll come back to that part of the answer in a bit because there is more to the answer. Um, I want to talk about the spoke protector itself, not why it's there. So, the theory is it's meant to prevent the chain from shifting past the last cog uh, on the cassette or freewheel and dumping it between the spokes and the cog. Uh, done right, uh, the dumping that is, uh, a rider will come to a skidding halt. But the, you, you peanut gallery doggies can can keep it. Um, so, but uh, done wrong, uh, you know, you dump the the chain in between the spokes and the cog and the bike doesn't skid much and the rider just ends up in a heap on the ground. Uh, mm. So they are included because if a shop is in a hurry and does not check the alignment of the derailleur set screws, it may be possible to overshift the chain uh, and And aside, uh, the derailleur set screws, for anyone who hasn't gone full Captain Nerdtastic on this stuff, um, they're the two screws that generally appear at the back of the rear derailleur and set how far inboard and outboard the derailleur can move, hence the set of set screws. At the shops I worked in, our practice was to remove the cassette, or often freewheel because that's how old I am, uh, and remove the spoke protector. Uh, It created a kind of extra layer of procedure to make sure we checked the derailleur set screws. Um, We also took it as a point of pride to put bikes on the showroom floor that lacked spoke protectors. While it wasn't proof that the set screws or even the indexing were properly adjusted, it did demonstrate that we were paying attention and taking time to attend to small details of the bike during its assembly. Um, And now I find myself somewhat amazed to, to do this. I will say in defense of spoke protectors, on cheaper drivetrains, because the materials are softer and don't work as precisely, overshifting can still happen, even if the set screws are properly adjusted. It's not likely, but I've seen it happen. Uh, okay, so back to the why. Lawyers. Uh, I don't want to say I hate lawyers, but I say that I hate much of what, much of what lawyers can do and how the law is adjudicated here in the U S thanks to lawyers, the consumer product safety commission, CPSC uh, requires that all bikes come out of the shipping carton, uh, all bikes that come out of a shipping carton as a complete bicycle must be equipped with reflectors uh spoke protectors um and oddly enough the cpsc actually refers to these as derailleur protectors which is a complete misnomer that plastic pie plate provides no protection whatsoever to the derailleur uh the cpsc also requires that bike companies must include an owner's manual uh having worked on an owner's manual uh I can say, I think with some definitive sense here, that there is no more useless document in all of cycling. Uh, Owner's manuals are 100% CYA. Uh, I defy anyone to find any truly usable information in one. Uh, As a matter of fact, just for ha-has, when I was working one, I asked if I could include information on indexed shifting systems and how to use a barrel adjuster uh the answer that i received may have included laughter um hey i said just for ha uh <clears throat> my problem with spoke protectors reflectors and owner's manuals is that they are all so poorly made that they end up being a massive waste a waste of materials a waste of effort a waste of a lot of different things that's a lot of paper and plastic to, th- to throw away each day uh and I'm not somebody who complains about government overreach, uh, but I can say that the CPSC requirements are a terrific example uh, of the court trying to fix an industry it knows nothing about. Uh, Yeah, John, you should probably stop me before I go full rabbit hole on this, like I do so many things.
0: Yeah. Spoke protectors, reflectors, um... It's amazing the products we can regulate and the ones that we can't. Um, (laughs) I don't want to say too much more about that. Um, Yeah. In fact, before I say the wrong thing, let's just move on to paceline picks. What do you say?
1: You know, that's probably not a bad idea.
0: All right. (sighs) So um, I spend a fair amount of time staring blankly at the wall of energy bars at the grocery store. I've tried almost all of them, and I have my favorites, but I also feel kind of trapped by them. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I need quick, easy-to-eat, high-calorie food to cram in my face while riding. But I'm too lazy and too short on time to make my own, like from the excellent Scratch Labs book, Feed Zone Portables, which you picked on this very show some months ago. Mm Mm-hmm. So I love, hate the energy bar aisle because it's not what I really want to eat. It's like a necessary, not evil, but it's like a tool. It's a tool. It's like one of those tools that doesn't fit in the toolbox. Let's say, you know, like you, you want to own it, but it just sort of, ah, it's not great. Um, that is a long intro to picking Bobo's Oat Bar Stuffed Bites hmm. this week. Okay. Uh, this is a very specific pick. I said Bobo's oat bar stuffed bites because mm-hmm. I would never take a Bobo's oat bar on a ride. They're oh. too dry and too big. Okay. I, I'm not knocking them as a nutritious snack, but they are not for riding with, in my opinion. Mhm. Bobo's bites are the right size, about two to three actual bites. And the stuffed version is moist, sweet, and just right. Mm. They pack the long burn of oats with the short burn of sweet sugary filling. And I think of them like a more nuanced version of the cliff, bo- cliff block I picked last week. The mm. cliff block is all like ready to burn electrolyte. Yep. The Bobo's Oat Bite gives you the long burn oats with the short burn sugar. So uh-huh. Um these come in apple pie, strawberry, and peanut butter and jelly flavors, and you can get a box of thirty of them for twenty nine ninety-nine from Bobos. Oh.
1: Hey, that's pretty darn good. I mean, I've gotten used to seeing three dollar bars, and I'm like, no. No Right. Right. Um so uh a a container one one uh one package of uh, Bobo's bites. How many calories does
0: that pack? That's an excellent question that I don't know the answer to. More uh. than a single Cliff Block, but um, probably fewer than the whole tube of Cliff Blocks. It's it's for me. It's more about the um, the variety of energy uh, supplied. Mm -hmm. I would say you're not going to ride very far on a single Bobo's oat bite, um, but you can easily put three in your pocket and mix them with cliff blocks and some other things if you're doing a particularly long ride. And you'll get, um, especially if you eat the oat bites early in the ride, you will have a little bonus energy later on uh, rather than just right away.
1: Yeah, the slow burn
0: um yeah strategically i think it's a good food
1: it it sounds neat it it sounds like something i'd be willing to try um i'm such a cheapskate that uh i i really struggle to pay a dollar fifty for a cliff bar um you know i i was i spent so many years paying just 99 cents for them that you know now that they're more expensive i i'm i'm struggling with this you know one third increase or fifty percent increase. Uh it, yeah. I, I'm a cheapskate. And also I, I'm I've been so focused on what cliff bars do nutritionally uh, that for anything lower key than a high intensity ride, I still love those. Um yeah. but yeah, high intensity stuff I tend to like the sweet sugary stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like to I like to bring a mix of things um, because I a lot of times I leave with an eating strategy and I have to alter it on the fly because the ride is spicier than I thought or less spicy than I thought. So I like to have some quick burn and some slow burn. Um, Yeah, I, I, I might leave on a long ride with a banana, two oat bites and a tube of cliff blocks.
1: Yeah, that, sound, that sounds good. Uh, yeah. this, this gravel event you're doing in a couple of weeks, um, uh, have you done this particular one before? It, does it have a name I, I know? Uh,
0: I have not done it before. It's called the Mixtape. I like um, it already. Yeah, it's called the Mixtape, which I presume is because there, are, there is a mix of surfaces involved, um, which I like quite a bit. Uh, it takes place in southeastern Massachusetts, which is the area below, Boston, south of Boston, but not on Cape Cod, but also not in Rhode Island. Fall River? Yeah, it's somewhat close to Fall River. Ah, uh, the armpit. The, yeah. Yeah, there's. I I don't know uh, exactly where it goes, and this was part of the draw. I've done many of the events around here, and a friend, uh, or my my regular gravel group was, someone said, I signed up for this, and then someone said, I signed up too. And I was probably, I'm not much of a joiner, but I was like sixth or seventh in line. I was like, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) But I am excited to do an event that I haven't done before, and... um, Generally, the spring event that I do is Rasputitsa, which happens up at East Burke in Vermont. uh, And you spend a lot of time climbing and climbing and climbing on mud. And so I am excited this year to be doing a an event which cannot possibly be as (laughs) climby or as muddy as that one.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds cool. yeah, uh, and I think I'm going to have to give a little check out the Bobo's oat bar stuffed bites. Um, yes, not the oat bar, um,
0: not the oat bar. I mean, okay. have oat bars, but yeah, the bite, the stuffed bite, is where it's at.
1: All right. Um, well, what my is, pick what this week. What is your pick? Yeah, uh, my pick this week is the Ibis Ripley AF. Um, and I'm I, I always whenever I see the AF I want to say the 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 comment yes. uh yeah but I won't this is a family program uh so this is a 13121 millimeter travel trail bike with an aluminum frame uh arguably the starting point for anyone new to ibis and their mountain bikes and maybe new to full suspension uh I'm picking it for a couple reasons uh my first reason and I I think I may have gotten this order of information all backward but I'm rolling with it. Uh, my first reason to include this or to make this my pick is that I often hear people complain about just how expensive full suspension mountain bikes are. Uh and that's even without motors on them. Uh typically the complaint is that it's hard to find a quality mountain bike for less than $4,000 uh without going to a hardtail. Uh well I'm here to say that the Ripley AF is available in three different builds, and all three of them go for less than $4,000. Uh, the one that I bought with SLX components uh, is $39.99. Uh, they go down from there. The Diori one, I want to say, is like $32.99, 33 dollars it's, it's super affordable. Um, I love the handling on this bike, and I love the DW Link suspension platform. But I'm not sure which I think contributes more to how good this bike is. Uh, The aluminum frame is not light, um, but it is durable as hell. Uh, Something I have verified, as I've already dropped it a couple of times. Um, You can read more of my thoughts on this bike in my full review, which, uh, as people are listening to this, will have gone live by now.
0: I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. You and I have discussed the Ripley in its various incarnations and talked about how much we love it. Um, I have not written the AF, um, so I am anxious to sort of read your notes on it. Um,
1: there are two pieces I want to write in upcoming months, one being a comparison contrast of the Ripley uh, to the Evil following. Um, because they are two really well designed uh bikes uh that both feature suspension designed by Dave Weagle, Um, but I also want to do a comparison contrast of the Ripley AF uh with the carbon fiber Ripley. Uh because that's it's remarkable how similar and yet how different those two bikes are. Um mm. it's uh it's maybe the best argument I could make for carbon fiber in mountain bikes. Um hmm. yeah. But you know when I when I think about what you used to get for $4,000 in mountain bikes and what the Ripley AF with Shimano SLX on it is I'm kind of amazed at manufacturer's ability to continually ring greater performance uh out of bikes. You know, sure they're heavier than they used to be, but they do so much more than they used to be able to do. Um and I yeah, I'm just amazed by it. Uh this is a really fine bike and I'd put it up against anything uh in a similar price range.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm really interested in those values um those bikes that come in below four thousand and maybe even below Three thousand, and you know, I'm I'll rope hardtails in there as well because I do think mountain biking is a category. At some point, someone just um, uh, took the governor off the engine and decided that everyone could pay seven, eight thousand dollars for a bike, so the market (laughs) got really flooded, and it turned mountain biking into something that it wasn't before. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I am definitely saying that it's less accessible. And companies are making really great bikes. There's not a lot of question. If you, if you, have, if you get the dollars for an $8,000 bike, you can turn out something pretty fantastic. Um, sure. Yep. I, I would love to see them focus more on the accessibility, price accessibility piece.
1: Yeah, well, in a previous pick, I talked about Shimano's Diori Group, which is now kind of the low end. Uh, It used to be the number two group in their mountain bike lineup. That's now kind of the entry level. When you look at the pricing for a Diori Group, say somebody has an old bike with, you know, 10 or 11 speed on it and they want to go to 12 speed, the pricing on the Diori stuff is so stupidly low as to make me think that maybe there's a misprint when I look at it but no the it's really it really is that affordable and it works so incredibly well my big criticism for many years of bikes in the say $2500 to $4000 range was that well you know yeah it's got you know 9 speeds or 10 speeds or whatever it was at the time but the stuff didn't last. You know, you, you wash it three times, not with a power sprayer, but you just wash it all three times and suddenly the bearings don't move. Uh, so the, the previous criticisms I had of bikes in this sort of price range have really fallen away. They've overcome what those problems were. Uh, the, the parts last. They are reliable. Um, You know, you don't get the spongy levers that you used to get with those lower priced groups. Um, There were so many just little things that contributed to a a less than stellar experience. Um, I mean, there's there's no doubt you get on a bike with XT on it and it's like, oh, wow. But you can have a perfectly great experience uh, on some of these other groups. And I'm pleased to see it.
0: Yeah, I have a, a an XT Di Two group that is fantastic to ride, and I also have a mechanical SLX group that I thought, oh well, I'll put up with this for a while, and then I'll upgrade. But actually, it's fantastic. It's really, really good, and I'm I i have not felt compelled to upgrade it because it's it's that good. It's accurate. It's consistent. It. I mean, no complaints. Yeah. Solid.
1: Yeah. The, the brakes are not as powerful as the Dior XT brakes, the four piston ones. Um,
0: I don't but, use brakes, so I don't notice. But.
1: <laughs> you are a robot. Uh, I, I like the hoodie, by the way. I want to hear the story about that sometime. Um, but, you know, the thing is okay, they're not as powerful as the Dior XT brakes are, but the SLX brakes are powerful enough. They do what you need. Um, you know, I have. I like that my, my one, my one and only complaint about the SLX group is that you don't get the double pull on the shifter trigger, uh, to be able to upshift two cogs in rapid succession. Uh, you know, you have to release it and pull it again. That's my, my sum total criticism against the SLX group.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So, Uh, But yeah, for people who are contemplating uh, what it is to ride a full suspension mountain bike and how much that can improve their mountain bike experience, the Ripley AF, man, it's a stunning bike. Yeah. Yep. All righty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Uh, What are some of the other stories we've got coming up for our readers, aside from my review of the Iris Ripley AF?
0: Um, we have a great video feature for Friday, uh, which is about the Dutch Headwind Cycling Championship. Oh my gosh. Oh. Um, so, so check that out. Um, right now, I have a slew of useless reviews that are all three quarters written. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been marinating hard on the useless parts of the industry, uh, so those will be coming up soon. Uh, And we'll have another Ask Stevel column coming, not to mention our regular uh, John Rezell Tuesday feature, uh, which he is well ahead of. Uh, I've got, I know, three or four of them done. Um, And those are those are a great read, too. So lots of good stuff coming.
1: And we've got a new episode of uh, The Long Way Home Up, uh, the feature that I wrote for Peloton magazine, uh, New England Genesis. Um, which uh as I was writing the post for it last night, I realized, oh yeah, I, I've been working on this feature for like thirteen years, fourteen years at the point that it was finally published. Um, it took a long, long time to get everybody to say the things that I needed to hear to write that story.
0: Having lived inside that scene and worked with many of those people, uh I, it's a feature that I like quite a bit.
1: Cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully everybody'll Else will enjoy listening to it. Um, This is where we ask you to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, Go ahead, please click that button now and send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Also, if you haven't already, check out our other podcasts, Revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but mm, is highly entertaining. John hosts that with Steve Knievel. Um, And we are now four episodes into The Long Way Home. Um, It features written work read by its author. uh, And as I like to say, it's more audible than fresh air. Uh, Maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. And constructive criticism is definitely accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.